Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and this is our program dedicated to spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio. And i uh, like to be able to look at different topics each day of how we can grow closer to Christ, closer to God, uh, how we can grow in our interior life. And we do that with the help of different spiritual directors that join us here every single day. Today, as we begin the program, I'd like you to think about drawing a line on a sheet of paper. Did you draw a straight line or did you draw a crooked line? I'm guessing, before I even brought up, was it straight or crooked, you probably drew a straight line. But regardless of whether you drew a straight line or a crooked line in your mind, How do you know that line, whether it is straight or crooked? Let's get back to that in just a moment. If you're a regular listener here to The Inner Life, you've probably heard me talk about how I love science fiction. I usually read, I don't know, a dozen, maybe 15 different science fiction novels each year. And plenty of science fiction is just about adventure, exploration. But I think the very best science fiction, it takes an idea something that we as a human race might be wrestling with, some ethical or moral question, or some aspect of philosophy, maybe even a new technology that might impact humanity at large in the near future. And then it takes that question, it places that question in a different time in the future or maybe in a different world, a different setting, where the author can explore the possible outcomes and consequences of those questions that we are asking in our contemporary society. One of the very first science fiction novels I ever read when I was a teenager uh, that accomplished this sort of goal, that really good examination of something in a different setting other than our, our own world. It's a book called The Worthing Chronicle, and it's written by Orson Scott Card. He's probably most famous for his novel Ender's Game, which was published in 1985, and then it was adapted as a movie about 10 years ago or so. It starred Harrison Ford and Ben Kingsley. But a couple of years before he wrote and released Ender's Game, Orson Scott Card wrote this book, The Worthing Chronicle. And in his book, he explores this society, this culture, that's living on a world where no one has ever experienced pain or sadness which sounds really good on, on the surface, right? Well, Jason Worthing, he's the title character, he helps these people to eventually understand that when you experience pain, when you experience sorrow, that actually allows you then to more fully understand joy and pleasure. And the people in this story, when they come to this realization, then they welcome the suffering because without it, 
they hadn't really ever experienced this true concept of happiness or contentment or even love. Now, you remember my question, how do you know when you draw a line, whether you've drawn a straight line or a crooked line? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he talks about this as he speaks of his journey from atheism to Christianity. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? So that's the answer right there to that question, whether a line is straight or crooked. Comparison. And for so many things in our lives, we require the ability to compare and contrast. If all the lines that you and I ever saw, they were only straight lines, we probably wouldn't even call them straight. They'd simply be lines. It's only when we compare the straight lines to the crooked lines that we're able then to distinguish between the two. But then that also allows us to appreciate to a far greater degree when a line is straight, especially when you're talking about art or maybe architecture. There's the beauty of those straight lines. And then going back to that story of the Worthing Chronicle, the suffering and the pain, the sorrow, they allow for a better understanding, a better appreciation of what true joy and happiness can be in our lives. Well, today is the memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows. Mary had those moments of sorrow, those moments of suffering, the emotional pain, the turmoil. Of course, most directly, when she was at the foot of the cross, but even at other times in her life. And today we want to look at Mary's example for us, how she shows us that we can endure, that we can accept suffering and sadness in our lives, knowing that God is working through those difficult moments, and ultimately that those sorrowful moments will allow us to have a more profound experience of joy and peace and love. And our spiritual director joining us for the hour today, Father Craig DeYoung, is with us here. Uh, Father Craig is a priest in the Diocese of Austin, Texas. He's the pastor of St. Louis King of France uh, Parish there in Austin. Father Craig, welcome back to The Inner Life. Well, thank you, Josh. It's good to be back, as always, and uh, what a great occasion for it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe before we look at the feast itself, you know, the sorrows of Mary— with today, uh, you know, there's a couple things that stand out to me just as far as the day itself. First, it follows yesterday's feast, the exaltation of the cross. But with the cross and with Our Lady of Sorrows, it seems that both of these feasts would maybe more naturally fit in the latter part of Lent or maybe in Holy Week. Why do we have both yesterday, the exaltation of the cross, today Our Lady of Sorrows, in the liturgical calendar of the Church, almost half a year away from Lent and Holy Week. You know, um, history is interesting in that um, there's uh, 
a lot of organic development, but um, it really yesterday takes place because St. Helena found the cross um, at this uh, this time um, in the 300s, I guess it's 326, around that time period. And uh, so we commemorate the true cross, right, the exaltation of the cross and, and the location of finding the cross in, in the holy city. Um, and, you know, the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows at one point actually was the week before uh, Palm Sunday, the Friday before Palm Sunday, heading into, you know, the Easter tide and, and all these sorts of things, uh, the Paschal tide, excuse me, and, um, you know, into then Holy Week and uh, more closely connected with uh, Easter. But uh, Pope Pius X kind of combined the Our Lady of Sorrows and the Our Lady of, of Compassion, um, kind of and moved that together to stand sort of next to the cross, as Mary uh, rightly deserves to be place. She's always found, uh, wherever the cross is found, Mary is found close by. And so it seems fitting that commemorating the exaltation of the true cross on the state when it was located, um, that Mary would stand side uh, beside the cross. And so in the wisdom of uh, the Holy Father, uh, Pius X, um, those two feasts are found together. Well, thank you for that explanation. So another question for you then, uh, at least from the standpoint of the liturgical calendar, Today's memorial, Our Lady of Sorrows, it's exactly one week after we just celebrated Mary's birthday. And that just seems such a quick pivot, you know, from the happiness of Mary's birth to so quickly. Now here we are reflecting on the sorrowful moments and experiences in her life. It's almost like we've, we, we jump from one week to the next uh, that encompasses her entire life. Yes, but, you know, a, a big part of who Mary is, um, you know, like, we know that Jesus is incarnate and born into the world so that he might redeem the world to suffer and to die. We know that even, uh, you know, this prophecy of Simeon and Luke's gospel, um, even at the early moments of his life, it's already pointing towards what's going to take place, um, you know, in the later part of his life in this, this paschal mystery, uh, you know, his death and resurrection that redeems the world. It's no surprise then that, too, Mary's life uh, points towards that moment as well. She's so closely united to Christ that um, even at the moment of her birth, we have a sense of who she is and, and how she plays a part in God's role of salvation. And a large part of that is is her connection to the cross, of being uh, close to her son and his sufferings. And um, she has a role to play there as well. So it doesn't surprise me, really, that we'd make this close pivot. We do this around Christmas time as well, when we have uh, the birth of Christ, and then so quickly we have um, you know, the celebration of uh, the innocents uh, right after his, his right. Uh, you know, sure. the holy innocents. You know, and Justin Martyr, we're already thinking about, um, you know, the, the Paschal mystery uh, and uh, the sorrows that take place in the course of Christ's life. And so it's no surprise to me that Mary is the same. Well, and I think that actually might speak to the, the full scope of how the Church speaks to our humanity. It doesn't just say, you're only this part or only that part it says no you are an entire person and we get that represented in the liturgical calendar as well you know we get yes there's moments of celebration and joy but we also recognize that there's going to be moments of sadness of suffering and those are what make us complete as as humans you know as as i mentioned that story that i had read so many years ago um you know these people who hadn't ever you know experienced suffering or pain or sorrow, they just didn't have the ability to recognize and understand what joy and contentment and happiness and love really were. 
Well, you know, too, the beauty of, of God's will, of his divine will, is that he takes everything that makes us us, even even the experience now of original sin, of our actual sins in our life, and he incorporates it into his plan of salvation that um, nothing is um, left unassumed by Christ as he assumes the human nature. Um, and so therefore everything is redeemed. And so it's not like we're just dissected and the good parts of us are taken and the bad parts are left. No, the entire person is taken into to God's plan of salvation. And he makes even the consequences of sin part of the remedy, that he takes um, the sorrow and the suffering and even our own uh, sinfulness. And, he, you know, as you're talking about straight lines, he takes crooked lines and makes them straight, so to speak. Right, you know, right. and he brings about salvation through what seems like um, an impossible or paradoxical uh, means, which is the cross itself, that sign of contradiction we celebrated yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Father Craig DeYoung, our spiritual director here on The Inner Life today, as we're talking about the memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows, how Mary shows us that we can love, that we can trust God, even when we walk through those sad, those sorrowful, those suffering moments in our lives. Uh, Father, before we talk about what Mary teaches us, how she can help us, can you walk us through those traditional seven sorrows of Our Lady? I would love to. Um, you know, even early in the Church, uh, the Church Fathers were, were already praying and meditating with this um, reality of, of Mary's closeness to our Lord and her experiences. And, and they would have read, obviously, Luke's Gospel, and they would have read, um, you know, of Simeon and his prophecy. And uh, that's kind of where, in a lot of ways, reflection upon the sorrows of Mary begins, because, you know, he, he you know says that Mary's own heart will be pierced through by a sword. And we've come to recognize that as the sorrow that Mary has, seeing that her Christ, who, who is so beautiful and good and, and true and the source of all, all beauty, goodness, truth, and, and, and oneness, um, was going to suffer greatly. And she, she knows that even from early on. And even as she shares in the joy and the love of her son, that's always kind of there, knowing that that sacrifice must come, that there will be uh, a great suffering. And so, you know, this um, beauty of the sorrow of Mary um, over time, uh, they came to look in the life of Christ to see some very key sorrows in Mary's life as places of a very fruitful reflection, of places of being able to to be with her, sort of as John is, is with her at the foot of the cross, and to look upon the mystery of Christ together and to um, experience the grace and the fruit of uniting our sorrows to her own in those moments. And so those seven sorrows begin with the prophecy of Simeon, when she first hears that message as she takes Jesus to present him in the temple after his birth. Uh, Shortly after, of course, there's the persecution by Herod and the death of those holy innocents, and so they flee to Egypt. That's the second um, um, uh, second sorrow of Mary. And they flee to Egypt, and they live as exiles and immigrants in a foreign land for a time until they hear of the death of uh, Herod, and they're able to come back to their home. Then, of course, they make that pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and uh, we hear also in Luke's Gospel of how they lose the child Jesus, uh, and uh, they search for him really for three days uh, before finding him in the temple in his father's house. And so we consider the sorrow of what it would have, might have been in that moment to lose a child and to wonder uh, where they are, of course, prefiguring and foreshadowing um, the death of Christ and his burial in the tomb for three days, only to encounter him in the resurrection. And that's the, the third sorrow of Mary. 
the fourth sorrow we often meditate upon is when the crucifixion takes place. There's, of course, the scourging, but then he carries his cross up the uh, up to Golgotha. And Mary, we envision her, her meeting him along the way and what that might have been like for her to see her son's suffering, um, his humiliation, his shame, the betrayal of friends um, who, who leave him, um, you know, and to meet him on that path. And we, we consider uh, what she would have seen and felt during those moments in love for her son, even with the hope of God's promises. Uh, that's the fourth sorrow. The fifth sorrow is the crucifixion of Jesus, to, to watch that moment as he is raised up um, you know, on the cross. And to consider, um, again, her standing there with uh, St. John and, and the words that Jesus even says, um, you know, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother, uh, what that means and the sorrow that's in her heart in that moment. And then, of course, as Jesus dies. And uh, there's some miraculous events that happen in that moment, but then he's taken down and he breathes no more and is laid in the arms of Mary, the Pieta, the same arms that he was laid in after his birth, you know, and uh, then he's wrapped once more like one in swaddling clothes and um, then they lay him in the tomb. So being laid in her arms is the sixth sorrow, but then they lay him in the tomb. And uh, you can imagine Mary placing him there and what it was like to walk away and roll that stone over. And that's the seventh sorrow of Mary. Well, the uh, as you're walking through these seven different sorrows of Mary here too, Father, I think it's very natural. The last four are probably the ones we reflect on maybe more regularly and very specifically, again, looking back at the Lenten season and, and Holy Week. Uh, but those first three, the prophecy of Simeon, their flight into Egypt, uh, escaping the, the possible persecution from Herod, uh, he wanted to kill Jesus. And then Jesus lost in the temple when he's 12 years old. Anything that, I guess, from your standpoint, that you look at and really stands out to you in these three different sorrows, the first three, something that you've reflected on that's that's meant a lot to you in understanding Our Lady and being able to then draw closer to her and to Christ? You know, it's interesting. Actually, as we were just walking through it, and some of the things you said early on today have kind of sparked this thought. Um, you know, obviously, as a priest, I do funerals. And, you know, the funeral liturgy is a mirror between baptism and the funeral itself. You know, when a child comes into the temple, so to speak, that first time and is baptized with water, clothed in a white garment, they light a candle that's a symbol of, of, of that light of Christ being given to that child to be carried through life. So we meet that person's body as they come into the church. We sprinkle that casket with holy water as a symbol of their baptism. We clothe it with the white pall garment over it. Uh, we have the paschal candle uh, from which they're baptismal candle was uh, lit at their, their baptism. And we have this contrast between life and death and death and life. Even, you know, when we're baptizing children, we're talking about them entering into death. And, you know, that's the beauty of the contradiction of the cross, that life and death are now united, that inexorably we have um, death being now the cause of life, Christ's death being the cause of our life. And I'm looking at the combination of these these sorrows of Mary, these first three, are all about the beginning of life, and yet already they're pointing to 
records what happens in the last four, the moment right. before the cross. And you have um, just how closely these things are linked together. And I think the beauty of it is, is if we think about our own lives and our own sorrows throughout the ordinary course of life, um, you know, we, we, in a lot of ways, we're looking at it in those first three mysteries. We're sort of looking at it in the part of life where maybe we're not thinking about yet um, the death of ourselves or our loved ones, um, you know, the simple sorrows of life, so to speak. And yet all of those little moments point towards this big mystery, and it unfolds for us not only in uh, the most obvious of ways, but also in the most simple moments and ordinary moments of life. And I think that, for me, is is one of the keys, is that no matter what our suffering is, it's united to this mystery, you know, and we do not suffer alone. And this mystery has something uh, to say, and um, even some grace to give in the midst of our daily sorrows, and it connects us to that greater mystery. And so I think, for me, Our Lady of Sorrows has always been, um, no matter what the sorrow or the suffering is, little or small, ordinary or extraordinary, I do not have to do it alone. Mary stands at the foot of that cross as well and loves me even as she loved her son. Our spiritual director is Father Craig DeYoung. Today we're looking at uh, the memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows that we celebrate today. And also want to invite you, your phone calls, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. How has Mary helped and accompanied you, interceded for you in those moments of suffering that you've had in your life? Or how has she been an example uh, that that's allowed you to see her in the way that she uh, shared God's love, God's peace with those around her? How has that been able to happen in your life where her example has inspired you? You can then, even in the midst of your sorrow or your suffering, be that channel of God's love and peace to those you encounter. Maybe you have a question about Our Lady of Sorrows. You're welcome to call in 888-914-9149, or you can email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Back in just a moment here, uh, more to come on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We receive hundreds of your phone calls every day, all thanks to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line. Our sponsor offers flexible life insurance and annuities. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester today an Illinois Life Insurance Society not available in all states. here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today is the Memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows, and that's what we're discussing here on The Inner Life Today. I'm Josh Raymond, and I'm joined by Father Craig DeYoung. He's a priest in the Diocese of Austin, Texas, and also welcoming your phone calls. How has Mary helped you in your life, those times where you have experienced that deep sorrow, that suffering that you've gone through? How has she been a comfort for you? How has she interceded for you? Maybe been that example of how you can still love, uh, share God's love to those you encounter, even in the midst of your suffering, and how God can work through that suffering to bring about a greater joy. Maybe you have a question about suffering 
and you'd like some insight and how Mary can be that example, you're welcome to call in and speak with Father Craig. 888-914-9149 is the phone number. 888-914-9149. Or you can email us, innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. Father, we had talked about those seven sorrows of Mary, the prophecy of Simeon, the flight into Egypt, uh, Jesus lost in the temple when he was 12 years old, Uh, then Mary meeting Jesus uh, during the carrying of the cross, there's the crucifixion of Jesus, then there's Jesus being taken down from the cross, and finally there's the burial of Jesus. I'd like to go back to that prophecy of Simeon, the very first one, just for a moment here, because, as you mentioned, she gets these words from Simeon that she's going to have this sword that will pierce her heart, that she's going to have some sort of sadness, some sort of suffering that's coming up. At some point, she doesn't get any sort of indication as to what exactly it will be or when it will happen. And with so much vagueness that's there from this prophecy, you could think, boy, doesn't that just give you a sense of dread and fear of, I don't know what, when this is going to hit, but something bad is coming for me. And yet Mary doesn't seem to be caught up in the dread or the fear. She doesn't let it paralyze her. She doesn't uh, enter into despair. She's able to just continue to move on. I think even in that passage, I don't have it here in front of me, but doesn't she? It, it might be that one where it says she just treasured all these these words in her heart, and she just kind of thought about what they might mean. I, I'm kind of ex, you know expanding on what is said there, but. But I think that's where it says that. How do we look at Mary? How can she be that, that example for us? Because I know in my life there are times where if I know something bad's coming up, I can just kind of get caught up in that mindset of, oh, no, what's it going to be or when is it going to happen? How do we let go of that and just say, well, it really doesn't matter when or what is coming. I'm just going to trust God. Well, I think your your intuition of going to the words that Mary uh, says about treasuring or pondering these things in her hearts is is correct. In that, um, the beauty of of our faith is that we hold all truth in tension. We always keep all things that are true sort of in mind. That God is both just and merciful. Um, that truth and love are are not contrary to each other, but to the same sorts of thing. And so for Mary, who is without sin, um, both original sin and actual sin in her life, we we can trust that uh, because of of God's grace and her cooperation with that grace that she never commits sin, we know that she doesn't despair, right? We know that she doesn't um, sort of believe often the lie that the enemy tells that God isn't trustworthy or he doesn't keep his promises or good things won't come. And so she has uh, the truths of Scripture, the truths of revelation from the Jewish faith um, in her heart, knowing that God is faithful, that he keeps his promises. And uh, she would know the, the prophecies of the Old Testament. She would hold those in tension with this prophecy, you know, that uh, she would be pierced through in her heart. She also knows the words of the angel Gabriel. She holds those things uh, in her heart as well and ponders them with these words, you know, that her son would uh, be, uh, you know, from the seed of David, that um, he would be called the son of the Most High. 
um, she would know that this is true as well. And she would say, these things are all true. How can this be, right? She would submit that worry or that those fears that she has or some of that sorrow that she's experiencing in anticipation of this event up to God. And it would resolve into a sense of trust and hope, knowing that God, even though she can't see how it might happen, she knows that God is trustworthy, that she can trust her father um, in heaven, right? She can trust her spouse, the Holy Spirit. She can trust her son, Jesus, um, that she has this, this um, faith, incredible faith and incredible hope and incredible love that carries her through um, sometimes the resolution we arrive on, which is this dread and this fear and maybe even despair. Uh, rather, she teaches us in that moment how to turn it all back to God and turn it over to God and to trust him. Yesterday on the program, Father, our focus was on growing in trust, our, our trust of God. Today seems to really amplify the difficulty of trusting God. You know, um, a very common criticism of Christianity or religion in general is why would a good and loving God allow suffering or allow pain? And yet we see Mary trusting that God, he, he knows what he's doing. He has a plan, even if she doesn't understand it. And even if she is experiencing that sorrow in that present moment, how do you think that we can, in those moments where we, we are really suffering, not give in to despair at that point, but live out the attitude that St. Paul talks about? You know, you were talking about she had the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. And I think of that line from his letter to the Romans, we know that all things work for good for those who love God. But that can be difficult, again, in the moment when you're going through that sorrow, that suffering, that loss, whatever it might be. Uh, anything that, that you might recommend that we can do maybe ahead of time that allows us to prepare so that we, when we do face those moments of sadness or suffering, that we are able then to maybe be a little more likely to not walk down that road towards despair or allow that fear and that, that pain to paralyze us? Well, you know, a lot of it has to do with, with sort of the devotions we, we talk about so often in our faith, uh, developing the habit of doing that um, in the little moments so that when the big moments come along, we've already have a habit of doing it. Um, I think, you know, also recognizing our limits you know, knowing that our, what our weaknesses are in those places, developing the habit of, in our weaknesses, crying out to God in prayer, um, in daily prayer, the sacramental life, uh, when we pray and read scriptures, when we look at the teachings and, and learn the teachings of our faith, um, in our relationships with one another in the community, uh, all, all of those things build the habit of um, little acts of faith, of trust in the Lord. I think also... Um, falling in love with Mary, and um, you know that this devotion of the sorrows of Mary is, is a very fruitful one in preparation for those greater moments. Um, you know, and I think actually before I maybe talk about that a little bit, um, I always frame Our Lady of Sorrows by thinking about the moment where Christ uh, gives um, his his mother to the beloved disciple at the foot of the cross, and uh, also gives his mother. Um, you know, sort of care over the, uh, the beloved disciple. Because I, I, think, I think the thing that strikes me so deeply, Josh, is that when you love somebody, their sorrows and their joys become your own. The more deeply you love somebody, 
um, the more sort of their life becomes your life. And, sure. uh, you know, when, when that's the case, um, I think to myself, um, you know, their sufferings become yours. And so when Mary, the same love that Mary has for her son on the cross that makes his suffering her own sufferings is now the same love Jesus points to her and says, you know, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. She turns that very same love that she has for her son and now turns it to the beloved disciple. And she uh, loves the beloved disciple so deeply that his, uh, his sufferings, his joys become her own. And he is drawn then into her own heart. As he stands there to console her heart in that moment, um, that, that love um, of Mary is, is turned upon him. And really, the beloved disciple stands for each one of us. And to take her into his home, that now we take Mary into our home, she, she enters into the very depths of ourselves. And, and we begin to love her. And now her sufferings, her sorrows, her joys become our own as well as we're drawn into that, as our hearts are softened and we begin to share in her sorrows. And uh, what's beautiful about that is we practice that habit of taking Mary into our home and allowing her to share so deeply in our lives that our sufferings and our joys become her own. We also then begin to take her joys, her loves, her sorrows as our own, which, of course, are all pointed towards Jesus. So she begins to bring us closer to Jesus. And so in anticipation of those larger moments in our lives where, um, you know, how we're going to handle those moments if we can make the habit in the smaller moments, the little moments of life, in our daily lives, our, our weekly lives, uh, to be close with uh, Mary and with Jesus through the life of, of sacrament and scripture, um, we'll be ready. You know, I'd like to go back also to what you were saying about Jesus says, behold your mother to the Apostle John. And as you said, you know, he receives her into her home. We receive her. You know, the church has always seen this as Mary being given to the church as mother of the church to to all people. And, you know, we're talking about St. John, the apostle there at the foot of the cross, and Mary. John loved her, his son. He loved Jesus. He cared for Jesus. He didn't abandon him, you know. But... We also see Mary being mother to those who are killing her son. You know, some of them by choice, some of them not by choice. But she then is given as mother to Simon of Cyrene, who helps carry the cross, the instrument of death that Jesus will be hanging on shortly. We see her being given as mother to the centurion, who is standing there, at the foot of the cross as well, and says, truly, this must be the Son of God. Um, people who are actively involved in killing her son, she's still mother to them, given by Jesus. What do you think Mary can teach us about loving and caring for those who are actively hurting us or hurting those that we love? Well, the first thought that strikes me is that Mary doesn't minimize the wrong that has taken place, Right. Um, you know, sometimes what happens when, you know, we turn to somebody and we say, we're sorry, and, you know, they're telling us they're, that they're sorry for something. Oh, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal, right? It's not, it's not something that's, um, you, know, you know, it wasn't that bad after all because you're sorry. I don't think she does that. Um, the gravity, um, the seriousness of what's taking place, um, she, she holds that intention with the love that she has for the sinner, 
Right. She holds that intention. So, uh, you know, it, it is a serious thing. Obviously, sin is a serious thing. And she doesn't sort of pretend or explain it away. She holds that intention, I think, with uh, the truth of God's love for the sinner. And um, she she obviously loves the sinner, even the one who has crucified her son. Um, but she doesn't minimize the crucifixion, you know, and I think that's a that's a difficult tension to hold, which is so beautiful when it comes to Mary loving the sinner. She can love me, um, and I can, I mean, I imagine her meeting Peter after Jesus is buried, and Peter has to explain how he's denied uh, her son multiple times. And she, I don't imagine her saying, well, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it, you know, uh, you know, it, it's not a thing, you know. He actually, she would actually say, um, you know, something along the lines of, I imagine, um, yes, that's serious, and you know how much my son loves you, and I still love you too, Peter. Uh, you know, and, it, and it, I can see how that could break someone's heart. Like, we are worthy of uh, condemnation for the seriousness of what we have done, and yet God's response, and then therefore Mary's response as well, is, is one of love, of invitation to repentance and to believe in the goodness of God, that believe in the gospel. And I think I think that's how it happens: is that Mary meets us, um, and she doesn't sort of she she can actually enter into the seriousness of our wrongs, the seriousness of our shortcomings and our weaknesses, without turning away, without shying away from them, without um, minimizing them. But then also she invites to the truth, right, and to the love and the beauty yeah. of God. Well, you know, the other word that comes to mind is mercy, because. You, you mentioned in that in that reflection on when she possibly encountered Peter. Yeah, this is something worthy of condemnation. But it's only when we acknowledge that we have done something wrong that we should be condemned. That's the point where we can receive mercy. If we haven't done anything wrong, there's not a need for mercy. There's no need for God's mercy in our lives if we haven't done anything wrong. And of course, we all have done wrong. But if we are unwilling to acknowledge that, or if we try and whitewash it or dismiss it, then we, I, I think, we, we shortchange ourselves on the beautiful gift of God's mercy that he wants to bestow upon us. Right. We harden our hearts uh, in a certain sense when we're unwilling to acknowledge our own faults. And therefore, the mercy of God, uh, which God wants to give us, uh, does not penetrate or enter in. We've closed that door. But when we acknowledge our sin, when we acknowledge our faults, um, not as in, you know, sort of just sort of shaming, I got you, you know, sort of thing, but rather as sort of a, a taking a deep breath before breathing in the mercy of God. Uh, you open your lungs, you, you, you breathe in that mercy. Um, you acknowledge that you have deeply sinned. You, you now are making room in your heart. You're softening your heart so that, that that mercy, that grace of God can enter truly into you. Our spiritual director is Father Craig DeYoung here on The Inner Life today, talking about the memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows that we celebrate today and also inviting your phone calls. How has Mary been that example for you, been that accompaniment for you during those moments of suffering, of sadness in your life? Uh, how has Mary been that intercessor for you, drawing her, you closer to her son? 
Uh, we'd love to hear your story. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. If you have a question about Our Lady of Sorrows, you're also welcome to call in and speak with Father Craig. And our email address is innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. Our conversation continues in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We receive over a million prayer requests every year, thanks in part to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line, helping us stay connected to your intentions. Learn how our sponsor can support your family with life insurance at relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. Today I'm talking with Father Craig DeYoung, a priest in the Diocese of Austin, Texas, pastor of St. Louis King of France Parish in Austin, and also taking your phone calls at 888-914-9149 as we talk about our Blessed Mother here on this memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows. And uh, Father, um, you know, one of the things we've been talking about, Mary, her example for us, but there's also in this devotion of Our Lady of Sorrows where we attempt, we try, we do what we can to comfort Mary in her sorrows. Can you explain what that is, what that looks like? Well, the uh, predominant image is, of course, St. John uh, standing next to Mary at the foot of the cross. Um, you know, he stands with her. He is looking on her son with her as she experiences his sorrow in this moment. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not always about the words, I suppose. I don't, I think, you know, I think about the hospital room when you go and visit somebody who's dying and the family is there. Um, many people, I think, have had those experiences of being with somebody who is sick or suffering in a serious way. Words don't really do it a lot of the times. Uh, and in fact, sometimes words can, can be contrary to it. You know, not, not always. Obviously, there's things to say and there's conversations to be had. Um, but it's often just about being with the person and, um, and, and empathy, right? Even taking their sufferings as your own, uh, that is consoling, that is comforting. Um, maybe you've been in that situation on the other side of it, that you have um, a loved one who is sick or dying or something like that, and someone's just been with you. Um, maybe it was your priest or your son or your daughter or a friend who just comes and is with you during that time, even though there's nothing to be said. And I imagine uh, this is kind of what it looks like really to console Mary. It's just to stand at the foot of the cross with her, um, to love Jesus with her in that moment, uh, and to share in what she's experiencing and what she's feeling. And I believe that's consoling, that she looks at Jesus and she knows it's not for naught, right? It, it has purpose, it has meaning, that God is using this moment to redeem uh, those who have been far away to reconcile. And those who stand with her and console her heart are the fruit of her son's suffering, right? They're able to come to that moment because of the grace that's unlocked uh, by his death and his resurrection. And so there's got to be something in that that consoles Mary, that she knows that people aren't ignoring what's happening to her son, but rather are truly moved by it and changed by it and redeemed by it. Mm. It kind of also reminds me of when Jesus goes to Bethany and Mary and Martha 
are distraught because Lazarus, their brother, has died. And even though Jesus knows what he's going to do, even though he knows that Lazarus will not remain dead, will not remain in the grave, he still enters into the sadness, the sorrow that Mary and Martha are both experiencing. And we see there, you know, those words that say Jesus wept. And that's right before he then says, Lazarus, come forth. And there's this amazing miracle that happens. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, that's, that's those moments where we see just because we know there might be good on the other side, it doesn't mean you don't suffer with that person you love, that person you care for, as they're going through that difficult moment. And it points it back to the mystery of the cross again. You can't skip the crucifixion and get to the resurrection. You know, I think right. so often we try to do it, but we really do need to enter into that moment uh, with in our own lives and with others, you know, to be with them. Even especially when we know the hope that's on the other side, the resurrection. Um, Mary never doubts her son's goodness. Uh, St. Bernard this morning in the Office of Readings even says, you know, that she, she knew that he would rise from the dead. In, in that moment. And I, I think that to be uh, true, that she knew, even in the midst of the crucifixion, Jesus would rise from the dead, but she still suffered intensely. She still suffered intensely. And I think the same is true for us in our own sufferings. It's like, you know, we're in that moment, and we'd, you know, often we'd very much like to skip it, but the wisdom of God, and, and so too the wisdom uh, that Mary lives by, is that they don't try to skip it. They know it's a necessary part, an important part of what will bring the joy of the resurrection, and uh, in a certain sense, to embrace it. And this is this is, goes back again to the divine will that makes the the consequence part of the remedy. You know that death um, becomes a remedy to to mortality. You know, and and I think that again, just the willingness to embrace our sufferings and to do so with God and to do so with Mary um, brings an incredible fruit that we will experience uh, then in the resurrection. Uh, Father, let's go to the phones. Maggie is calling in from Pittsburgh. Maggie, welcome to The Inner Life. How has Mary been that help, that uh, consolation, that intercessor in your life? Oh, uh, thank you so much for taking my call. And yes, I would love to talk about my relationship with Mary and and as well as with Mary, my mother, and my mother. Um, And just a short story here, but um, when my mother was very sick, she was having trouble breathing and a lot of pain. And she had called me over and uh, like you know said like can you take my hand like I'm I'm I I can't really breathe right now and um, grabbed her hand and very intently I I begged Mary I prayed to her and I said please intercede for my mother please help my mother can you you know help her to to restore her breathing and take away her pain um, and and you know given my mother was very devoted to Mary all of her life. Um, and I prayed silently. My mother didn't know what I was saying or what I was doing. I was just holding her hand and squeezing it. Um, then slowly, like within, I would say, seconds, less than a minute, you know, my mother's breathing came back. She was out of pain, and, and she was more or less restored. Um, later that night, she said to me, she said, you know, when you held my hand, I felt a surge. She said there was just an energy that came through me. And, I mean, it just stopped me dead in my tracks. I was like, wow, Mom, do you know 
I was like praying to Mary at that moment. And, and it was such a powerful, powerful moment for both of us, realizing that she had interceded and answered our prayer. So, And I share that with, with you and with everyone so that you understand really how Mary is there with us even today. That's beautiful, Maggie. And, you know, the graces we are given are, are graces to share. So thank you so much for sharing that on the show. And uh, that is the compassion of our Blessed Mother and of our Lord. You know, Father, as Maggie was sharing, too, I, I'm thinking it's important for us to remember that looking at Mary there at the foot of the cross, she wasn't alone. You know, you mentioned that there's John the Apostle, but there were the other women that were there with her. And as Maggie is talking about being with her mother as she's suffering, can you talk about the importance, and we're down to just our last couple minutes here, but the importance of not remaining alone or isolating ourselves when we are going through times of suffering? Yes, absolutely. We are made for communion, and uh, God is a trinity of persons, a family of persons, and uh, nothing God does is alone, so to speak, and we're made for a similar communion, and that includes in our suffering that the mystical body of Christ is lifting one another up in prayer, the angels, the saints, um, all of um, you know those here on earth as we pray every Mass, that every Mass we're praying for everybody, and especially for those who are sick and suffering. And so constantly the body of Christ is, is connected, and, and to the idea of trying to do it by ourselves then is one that seems to me to be foreign to God and foreign to uh, the Catholic faith. Well, and then the other thing that I think is important, and, and you talked about this, you know, we can't skip the, the crucifixion and only look at the resurrection, but it's also important that we don't dwell just on the suffering or the sadness or the crucifixion. You know, there is a reason why we call it Good Friday. And being able to look and saying, you know, the suffering, the sorrow, the sadness, the difficulty, whatever it is, even in the midst of that, this still is pointing to something larger that God has in store for me. And the ability to uh, really embrace a deep abiding joy in that suffering. Well, it's it's in the New Testament. I, I wish I could remember, uh, you know, the chapter and verse, but it's for the sake of the glory that lay ahead, right? That he embraced not, uh, you know, despised not the the shame of the cross. Um, I think Saint Paul is writing about Jesus and his suffering. It's it's the eyes are fixed on the glory, right? How does Jesus do it? His eyes in the agony are fixed on his Father and his Father's will. Um, you know, Mary is fixed on the Son, knowing uh, the resurrection is to come. Um, yes, you don't dwell in the sorrow and the suffering. It's it's actually looking to the glory of God and His goodness that, that enables us to walk through that dark valley, that dark uh, dark place in our lives. Uh, much like Psalm 23, you know, the though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, shall fear no evil. You're you're not dwelling in the darkness in the valley. You're looking at the Shepherd who's leading you. You're looking at the the light that's on the other side. Yes. Right. And yeah, the, the, uh, what you're talking about is in Philippians chapter 2, where uh, Jesus um, talks about, took on the form of a slave coming in human likeness, found himself in human appearance, and became obedient to death on the cross. Um, but it ends with that every knee bends, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful passage there in St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Father, we've got about 20 seconds remaining here. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
May God bless all that listen to this show today. They may enter deeply in mysteries of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, be accompanied always by Our Lady of Sorrows and St. Joseph. May God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. Always good to have you on the program. Of course, if you missed the earlier portion of the hour, you can find the podcast. It'll be posted here shortly at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about the very opening section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And I hope you can join us for that. It's going to be a wonderful conversation, one of my favorite passages from the Scriptures. And uh, we'll dive into that tomorrow here on The Inner Life. Stay tuned. Mass coming up next here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.